You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Let's see. I guess you can, uh, it's going to take me a little while to get there. You can open your Bibles over to John chapter 8 first, I think. I may go somewhere else, but we'll be in the neighborhood that way. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning. Let's see, I need to hit play here probably. This is something that's really been on my heart for the last couple of months, and I I feel like it's just really, in fact, through the week, I even got hold of uh, Annie and Lucas and all the people that are waiting for you know, some kind of a title. And and honestly, I didn't know. I have so many things floating around and I I didn't know exactly where we were going. But I know that I want to talk to you this morning about truth and what it is and our role, our position, our role, our assignment concerning truth in this earth and love, the love of God. I think we'll emphasize truth this morning, but so, so let me just kind of make some statements too as we get into this. I, I think it's important that we always remember that we as believers in the earth, we are people with an assignment. We are not just here waiting for Jesus to come back. You know, when I was, when I first got born again back in the 1970s and stuff, there was just a lot of evident, um, emphasis on the rapture and on, and, and I mean, all that's fine. I mean, those are all truths, but I mean, it was kind of like get saved and then Jesus is coming any minute. So don't, you don't have to do anything. Just, you know, get saved and wait. He's coming. I had a, I was thinking this morning on my old VW and I remember Kenny, your brother laughing at this, but anyway, I had a, I had probably several bumper stickers, but I had one on there that was this pair of tennis shoes with somebody that had obviously gone up out of the tennis shoes and it said, get right or get left, (laughs) you know? It was, I don't know why I had that, but at any rate, I did, you know? So real message of love for people, get right or get left. Uh, But anyway, I mean, there's just a lot of emphasis in that and and that's all fine. I mean, being aware of all that's true. But in the meantime, while we are here, we have an assignment and it's multifaceted, and it and it is about bringing heaven to earth. You know, praying that uh, things on earth be just like they are in heaven. I mean, we're here to release all of that here on this earth. But as far as this topic of truth is concerned, we have an assignment to be the people in the earth that uphold and live in, obviously, but but uphold truth. And we are living in a culture that is, it has swung so far into being really, really nervous about even the idea of believing that there's such a thing as objective truth. We're in this whole, boy, if you talk about truth, you are going to step on a lot of people's toes. Because, uh, and we'll talk about why, I mean, there are a number of reasons for this. But but there's this resistance even to the idea that we could know what the truth is, that we could be sure of what the truth is, that we could stand for something and say, this is the truth. And because this is the truth, 
then my saying this is the truth means I am making a judgment call and that there are other things that are not the truth. And that's the way it is. And, and that is, and you can feel, I mean, even as we talk about it, you guys may agree with it, but you know how that plays in our culture. People do not want anyone to be sure. And this has gotten so pervasive in the church. And I don't usually, and those of you guys who've been around here a long time, I'm real careful about talking about other streams, uh, other movements within the church. But I'm going to talk about some of that today because they're in the last... I guess 20 years or so, there's been this big, very popular movement in the church that has taken hold of those secular ideas of those that postmodern thinking and relativism, that there is no such thing as objective truth. You know, everybody, everybody experiences things differently and whatever you experience, that's your truth. What your opinion is, that's your truth. And I have my truth, that whole thing. You know what I'm talking about? It has gotten in, you see it, if you start becoming aware of it, you see it everywhere. You see it in advertising, you see it in movies, you see it certainly in, in any type of online dialogue or political discussion or any of that. Uh, it is so strong, and, and that's one thing to have that going on in the world, that's not real surprising, but to have that going on in the church and people preaching that way is something we need to really be aware of, because in many cases, it's subtle. In many cases, it, it's, it's presented as being loving. It's presented as being accepting. It's, it's like, well, if we're going to have people come to our churches, which obviously we want, but in order to do that, we're going to compromise. We're going to set aside talking about anything that would force people to make a decision about what's truth and what's error. You know, we're going to set all that aside. We're just going to be, we're just in the, in the name of acceptance and inclusivity and those kinds of things. We're going to set aside truth. And that is, and, and I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but that has become a strong current in parts of the body of Christ. It is very, very popular. I mean, I'm not going to name names today, but I mean, very, very popular uh, preachers and teachers and authors and things are writing from that perspective because it sells. And it does get people through the door. It does. It, you know, our culture is really comfortable as long as there's no challenge. As long as, as long as it's just a matter of, you know, and here's what's happened is, is in the name of acceptance, which God does accept us and God welcomes us right where we are, wherever we are. When we come to him, he accepts us. And Jesus did too, and that's true. But Jesus also, and, and the whole of Scripture, and God also, along with that acceptance, comes a submission to God and things like repentance and transformation. And what we're seeing now is the acceptance part, which is being called love, and all of that's being taught and related without, free from, any expectation to change, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We don't want any of that. We just want to be accepted the way we are and go on with our lifestyle and on with our sin and on with our error. And this isn't hidden anymore. I mean, people say, you know, people say this out loud. I mean, it's, uh, it's so, so I want to, I want to talk about this. And I think you know that, I mean, truth is just, it is under siege. It's under fire. 
from these worldly philosophies. And it's only in the last couple of decades that, uh, you know, parts of the church have, have really grabbed hold of that. And so there, there is, um, there are segments and, and basically it's, I mean, it's the movement that's known as the emergent church movement. And, and the idea in that was originally they were emerging from uh, dry, dead religious Christianity, which, okay, I'm, I'm on board with that. Uh, but, the, but the thing is that it moved into this thing of, okay, we, we need to, we need to reach out and, and we need to be conformed to our culture and to the ideas of the world in order, again, to include people, to make them feel accepted. We need to take a stance that there, we, we don't talk about sin. We don't talk about the, the problems that flow out of sin in our lives. We don't talk about repentance. We don't talk about, we don't talk about, we don't take 10 minutes and talk about money and tithing for sure. Uh, we don't talk about sexual sin. We don't talk about any of that anymore. And honestly, in these areas, and I, and I know a lot of people who have gone from what I consider a really good, strong walk with God into this area. So I, so I see a lot of the effect it's had on people's lives and what they're saying and what they're doing, that kind of thing. So I'm not just talking out of the air here. I, I have people that I love deeply that are really caught up in this. But it's this, there's sort of this desire to, this desire to be so acceptable to the world that, for example, I see a lot of, you know, Facebook posts and social media posts where they're, they're bragging about how much they're drinking and they're, they're, uh, they're, they're very on board with everybody's sexual sin. And they're, I mean, they're very open about all this because that openness they feel communicates the love of Jesus. And I'm here to say this morning that affirming error is never an act of love. And I, and I understand, I'll say it right now, and we can try to get to the scripture. And I think you know that this is my heart. We don't have to be angry, ugly, religious, uh, throwing rocks at people, people, in order to stand for truth. I believe the most loving thing we can do is communicate, and, and with lifestyle and with words, truth. Because the life of God is in his word and in his character, and his word always lines up with his nature. Jesus never compromised that in order to reach out to people who were in sin or religious people or whatever. He never compromised that. He never compromised truth. He never compromised who he was. He always stood in the word of God and in that he's the exact image of the Father. We're getting this idea that he was just this kind of mushy guy that just went around held a lamb all the time and, and, you know, kind of mostly petted lambs and patted children on the head and just loved everybody. And it's not, just read the Bible. It's not the image we have of Jesus. He was extremely loving. Love and truth meet in Jesus Christ. Mercy and justice meet in Jesus Christ. We don't always know how to do that very well. I, granted, we don't know how to love and stand for truth real well, but what's happening now is both the term truth and the term love are being perverted into something that the Bible doesn't mean when it says that. 
So there's this, there's this move to conform um, to culture, to um, compromise truth in order to uh, meet people's felt needs. And in many cases, all we're doing is exacerbating their felt needs. So, um, so anyway, all this, there's, a, there's a lot of this um, compromise that's going on. And again, it's, it's extremely open these days. And that's what has me kind of nervous about it all. Um, so let's look at, let's just look for a little bit at, you know, what is truth? Okay, because it's a legitimate question. And again, I, I'm saying some of this today because we're surrounded, we're immersed in a culture that has taken that term and made it to be something completely different than what our Bibles mean. All right. So I always love this verse. I mean, there are a lot of places we could go, but John 17, 17, uh, Jesus speaking, right? Jesus is praying to the Father for us. And he says, he makes a simple statement, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. All right. Jesus said, Father, your word is truth. Pretty Pretty simple idea. God's word, which God's word is always exactly congruent with his nature. God can't lie. God can't deceive. He speaks out of who he is. So the tr- truth, truth is, and, and, I'm, and of course here, we're not just talking about, we should be people who tell the truth. We're talking about, we should be people who, live in truth, who manifest truth, whose lives are continually being changed and transformed by truth. That is one of the biggest things that seems to be missing. Um, Trying to think which way to go here. What seems to be missing from this message that's coming out and is so popular these days is that, like I said a minute ago, when we are confronted with God himself and truth and who he is, very often it, it reflects it. It's, Jesus is, is the truth, right? He's the way, the truth, and the life. He, he isn't just a truthful person, all right? He is the truth. He's a, truth is a person, <laughs> okay? He also is love. He isn't just a loving guy. He isn't just a nice guy. He is love. God is love. Jesus is God. Jesus is love. Everything he ever did or said manifested both truth and love. Whether we understand it or not, when we look at it, if he said it and he did it, it reflects both truth and love. He is he is perfect mercy and he is perfect justice. And again, they meet together in him perfectly. And we are supposed to be as he is in this world. So we are supposed to be being transformed with every encounter with the person of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, and every encounter with the word. We, and, and this seems to be missing, this whole idea that, yes, God accepts you. He loves you right where you are. He is, he is not looking for you to change 
before he accepts you and you accept him. But once you accept him, yeah, he has changes that he wants to bring to every one of us. Unless you're perfect, when you, unless you are exactly like God, is that anybody? Because if so, you should probably be up here preaching. Uh, not that anybody up here preaching is exactly like God. But, you know, unless we are exactly, we're supposed to be being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So there is transformation, there's challenge, there's change for every one of us. And it's going to go on our whole life. So having that part missing from this message of acceptance is a huge problem. This, this verse says, sanctify them by your truth. Jesus is praying this to the Father. That word sanctify means to be set apart from one thing and set apart to another. It means to be set apart from the world and set apart to God. We become, it's the term of becoming holy, becoming in the sense not of perfection of behavior, but holy in the sense we are his prized, unique possession. We belong to him. And, And Jesus says, Truth sanctifies us. It sets us apart. It distinguishes us. People who, who accept his word, his truth. Because then he says, your word is truth. So we could just say, sanctify them by your word, right? It is, it is the truth that we are changed by, the truth that we carry, the truth that, that lives within us and lives out through us. That truth is supposed to distinguish us from the world. So there's no way to to live this Christian life and be a disciple of Jesus and be just like the world. It just doesn't work. It's not what is intended. It is not what God has for us. And yet that seems to be our fear is that we would be seen as different, that we would hold different values. And I'm telling you, you are going to come under attack for taking that stand in your life and openly living by different values. And I think that's going to be increasing. It seems to be increasing uh, in our society. It's... um, Well, let's just go this way. So we have to realize that we we cannot expect to be accepted by the world. We've got to realize that there is going to be this separation. And honestly, what happens in us, it's not that, I just, I have a hard time putting this into words. It's not, and I think you get this, it's not that we have to stand up and say, I'm different. You know, I'm different. I'm over here, you're over there. It's not about that. It's just about, you are different. And you are becoming differenter. I mean, you know, if you're walking with God, you're this stuff pretty soon, you're not even thinking about. I'm surprised sometimes when I'll just do something or make a statement or or <laughs> heaven forbid, write something online and people get upset about it and it's like, "Oh, I I didn't even think of that." It wasn't confrontational to me. It wasn't contentious. It was just being excited about something in God and people get upset about that. It's like, "Oh, you know, you kind of forget after a while 
that you're living in, you're living a different life. But we've got to be okay with that. We can't live in this fear. All that is is the fear of man. All that is is respecting the opinion of man more than the opinion of God. We've got to, our assignment in this earth is to live in truth and hold up truth and be sure that truth is, is stable and firm and fixed. We'll look at that in just a minute if I get moving along here. So remember that we've talked about this before. This term truth means reality that is unveiled. Okay, It is reality from God's perspective. That's what truth is. And that's, according to Jesus, what the word of God is. It's reality. See, because all this that we think is reality is all going to pass away, and that reality is going to be reality. It is reality, but that spiritual uh, superior reality is what's going to be there. This word truth means the veritable essence of matter. It is the reality that lies behind and supersedes appearance. I love that. It is the reality that lies behind and supersedes just what we can see right here. That's what truth is. So that's what we're talking about. Again, we're not talking about just somebody's opinion or being a truthful person. All right, in John chapter 8, I had you turn there, verse 31. Okay, John 8, 31. You guys know these verses. Um, Let me go here because I want to be sure I read all of this. Uh, John 8, 31 and 32. You know, very, very familiar verses to us. Jesus said, notice this, to the Jews who had believed in him. Okay, so he's talking to believers here. He's talking to Jewish people who had accepted him as Messiah. All right, so he's talking to believers. And he, and he says, to those Jews who believed in him, he said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Okay, that word abide means make your home in, dwell in, uh, make, it, make it your home. It's where you live, in his word. I live in his word. I live from his word. When I come out of the house in the morning and go to work, I'm coming out of his word, not separating from his word. But I mean, it's this place of immersion. It's the place, your home is where you're comfortable. Your home is where you keep your stuff. Your home is is where your, your closest friends and family are. And it's just that comfortable place. That's your home. That's what this word abide means. Dwell in, make your home in. My word. Okay, and so he's saying this. What was their option? Their option was to continue to make their home in either the opinions or the the traditions uh, of men and of Judaism or or to make their home in the words of Jesus, all right? And he's saying, if you're my disciple, this is what marks you as a disciple, you live in my word. And it says, and as a component of that, you shall know, that word know is that intimate knowing, not just, I, I, got, I went to Bible school and I learned a bunch of facts. It's not that, it's intimacy. It's, it's the, the word that's used of the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. It is, it is this intimate, fruit-bearing relationship. He says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth. So it's the truth that we have that kind of 
relationship with. It's a part of us and we're a part of it. We've become one flesh, so to speak, with the truth. That truth, it says, sets people free. And that that means it liberates captives. It frees them from every kind of bondage. It's this huge word of setting the prisoners free. And we know that that throughout the rest of the scripture, it means that we are set free from captivity to sin. We are set free from captivity to old ways of thinking. We are set free to walk in Jesus Christ. It says that's what truth does truth that you know. So we should be experiencing that. But again, I ask you, is it therefore loving to want to bring people into truth, into the reality that lies behind everything we can just see, into that which is God's opinion, God's way of seeing it, God's life that he has given to us and he shows to us. He sent his spirit into our hearts to speak truth to us and to open the truth to us, to take the word of God and take it from being words on a page and break it open into our hearts and release the life of it into us. He sent this coach to do this. And, and so for whatever reason, a lot of times, you know, it's, it's like we think that if we tell truth to people, if we give them truth, that's going to bind them. It doesn't. It frees people. We're just simply wrong about that. And, the, and, and it's so, we think that truth is, uh, and, and people try to say this, that, oh, you know, the word of God, it's so restricting, it's so restraining. No, it's actually where there's freedom. It's actually where there is freedom from the stuff that really binds and really ties up a life. Let's go to another one. Go over to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's up on your screen. This is, oh yeah, looks pretty good. Um, I hadn't seen that background yet. Um, these verses, and I talked to you about this a lot, but this is so important. This is so important. First Timothy chapter 3, beginning of verse 14. It says, Paul speaking, he says, I hope to come to you before long, but I'm writing these instructions to you in case I'm delayed so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. So he's giving instructions so that we will know, apparently there's a way that people that are part of the household of God ought to conduct themselves. That means, immediately that tells us, there are ways that people who are the household of God ought not to conduct themselves. And again, the world hates that message. And there's a big, there are people that, I mean, they've, They've mostly all unfriended me now on Facebook. And it's not like I fight with them about this stuff. It's just that I don't believe that you should set aside uh, all, well, all the writings of Paul. They don't like Paul. They mostly only talk about uh, the Beatitudes. They only talk about the Sermon on the Mount. They only talk about that part. And honestly, I think they're totally misunderstanding that part. But it's, but it's just this, they really pick and choose the parts where, you know, of they, they'll talk about um, Jesus uh, not condemning uh, the woman who in adultery that was brought to him, which that's a great message. And he said, I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. He told her, and that would be considered totally unloving by, this, by these folks totally unloving. You don't, you don't tell somebody to go and leave. How do you know it's sin? Who, who am I? Who am I to define something as sin? 
I'm not defining something as sin, but I will believe what God says about it. And I will believe that it still produces the wages of death because God says it. I believe it's harmful. I believe I'm not perfect. I'm not, you know, I'm still growing. Yeah, we get all that. Nevertheless, I can see what the word says. And Jesus did not just say, I don't condemn you. He did say that. And that's an invitation to her. But then he backed it up with, go and leave your life of sin. They never quote that part. It's this reduction of the scripture to to very small portions. There are um, some of the, some of the founders of, of some of this and everything, I mean, they were writing books 20 years ago where they define truth as being not like, they say a lot of Christians think it's this rigid thing. And, and really, it's like the springs on a trampoline. And it, it bends to whoever happens to be jumping on the trampoline and to their, to their weight, to their needs. It's, it's springy. It's, it's not rigid. Well, then that's not truth. Truth is either truth or you don't believe in truth. That's the way it is. The whole idea that there's no absolute truth is said as an absolute. There is no absolute truth. I mean, none of that makes any sense. But this idea that truth is, it's spring, it conforms. It changes with society. It changes. And I mean, they're preaching this openly. And I'm saying this to you. I even feel bad doing it. It's like, I don't like... The church is the bride of Christ and he is defensive about his bride and I respect that. And I, I am always nervous treading anywhere near any of this, but I also have a responsibility to, to keep you guys safe as best as I can. And so there's a lot of this out there and it's subtly starting to flow. It was just a few Guys, very charismatic, very popular. I don't mean charismatic in the sense of the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, fun people to listen to, great storytellers, great great people to listen to. But now seeing it come out in some of the just solid line evangelical um, guys and stuff. So anyway, I, this just concerns me, this idea. And it's just not true. So anyway, let's get back here. I told you I had a lot of different. It's going to be one of those. Uh, so Paul says, um, I'm, I'm giving you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God, which is definition, the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And we've talked about this before. First of all, that word ought, they ought to conduct themselves. It's a word that means This is what is absolutely essential and necessary given the situation. Given that this is the household of God, the church of the living God, then this is the absolutely essential way for these people to conduct themselves. It means the thing that is the most appropriate to who they are. It means what is right, what is proper, what is their moral duty or obligation. They ought to to conduct themselves. It means what is inevitable, given the nature of a thing, given the fact that these are the people of God, it's inevitable that they will uphold truth, that they will be the pillar and foundation of the truth. This is that word, I love that word. It's one word, ought, and it has all of this meaning to it. This same word, they ought to conduct themselves. This same word is used to describe the necessity of Jesus going to the cross so that mankind could be redeemed. 
It was absolutely necessary. They could have said he ought to go to the cross. We would misunderstand that. But the Greek word means it's an absolute necessity. Well, it's saying it's an absolute necessity that the household of God conduct themselves in this manner. All right. It was used also to describe the necessity of Jesus going to Jerusalem to suffer. Remember when they tried to stop him from that? And, and because that was the very reason he came was the reason he came. So he had to go to Jerusalem. We as the people of God have to be the pillar and foundation. Do you, do you feel the weight of that? How important this is? It's, it's the church of the living God. Every member in a family like this has privileges and they have responsibilities. It's, it's part of being a family. So it says we are supposed to be the pillar of the truth, which is a single column that supports or holds something up, holds something in place, a pillar. We're supposed to be in this earth, we believers, through lifestyle, certainly through our words, through the way that we live, what we embrace, the values we hold, the choices we make, are to be a pillar of truth, of God's word, God's nature, who he is. We are to be a pillar. And the word foundation there, it's translated different ways. It literally means the ground itself. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a permanent foundation upon which something is built and held firmly and safely in place. It's us. It's our assignment. Again, this doesn't have to be a big in-your-face, I'm telling you, you're wrong. It's not that. I mean, that would be a bad attitude. And It's just if we don't hold firmly to truth and live by truth, nobody else is going to. And it won't be found in the earth at that point. It will. I mean, we are the only ones that are, number one, <laughs> God didn't tell the world to do this. He told us to do it. And what a privilege it is. I mean, what, a, what else would you want to live in once you recognize that God's word is totally full of life, that life, he created life and his word produces life and, and all the, the blessing of God, it's not earned, but it's just in walking in his word. It's like, it's like well, there's a river down there and I really want to get wet, but the river's over there. Well, go get in the river. It's like you get in the word, get in, just start living the principles of God and the blessing is already there. Okay, we've got a few more minutes. Let's look at one or two more. Um, oops, that's wrong. What did I just do? Do I have two of those? I do. Let's see if I have anything else. Okay, well, this is supposed to say something else. I messed up that slide. Uh, I'm looking at Psalm 85, Psalm 85, 10 through 12. You can write it down. We'll just spend a minute here. This is the one I've been quoting it to you without quoting it to you. It says, it basically means in Christ, in, in the Lord, mercy and truth have met together. Psalm 85, 10. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. And then it says, truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. So mercy and truth. And this word mercy, it's that word that's often translated loving kindness. It's much bigger than what we think of as mercy. It's the love of God in motion. It is his mercy. It is his compassion. It is all of those elements together and 
truth have met together in Christ. They meet together perfectly in him. It's not one or the other. There is no way to honestly love people without walking in truth. It's, you know, we always use this example. It's like, if you believe that the word of God is truth and you believe that God's, you understand who his nature is and that he he loves everybody and he wants to draw people to himself. He wants them to have that abundant life that his word and his principles are filled with life. When we understand all of that, then to leave somebody outside of that because we're afraid of offending them is not a loving action any more than one of us after church, we see one of your kids playing out in the highway. Oh, well, we don't want to offend them. We'll just leave them there and let them get run over. It's, it's no different We want to reach people because God has the best life for them. There's nothing to be ashamed of in that. Okay, Um, let's uh, that and that those two words, love and truth, were very often in the Old Testament they were linked together, and yet we've somehow disconnected them. Okay, Uh, let's jump over. I want to get through this last verse. So I want you to look at this this morning. We're so familiar with John 3.16, right? I mean, you know, you see it in the stands and, and at the football game. You know, I mean, everybody, if, if anybody knows anything from the Bible, it's probably John 3.16 or Psalm 23 or something. But it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'm going to read down. I couldn't fit all of this on your screen. So I'm going to read down through verse 21. I only put two verses up there for you. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. All right, it's probably the most known verse in the Bible. And it goes on, it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, thank God, but that, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And it gets a little tougher there. But this this is the verse I want you to look at, and I believe this is verse 19 through 21. And this is the condemnation. The word there means verdict. This is the verdict. That light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. So the message there is, God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. He wants to save everybody. All right? That's his heart. That's his desire. That's the love of God. He gave the love of God, lays its life down for others. Okay? But then it says, people in general, the world, rejected light. Light and truth are always connected too because truth brings light. It exposes things that are in us that need to change. It's not done with condemnation. It's done for our benefit, but it still brings, it exposes things. And it says, the bottom line is people rejected the light, who is Jesus, 
because they didn't want their stuff exposed. In other words, they didn't want accountability. And that is still, that is the bottom line of this whole message, whether it's from the world or whether it's what's flowing in the church. The bottom line is, why wouldn't you want truth? Because I don't want to be accountable. Mankind without God wants to be their own God. It's the, it's the way it's always been. This isn't new. We don't want to be accountable. We want to be our own God. We want to run our own life. We want to decide what's right and wrong for ourselves. That's the whole current that's going on. And, and that is the issue that we face. Yes, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, but he has to be accepted. And acceptance doesn't just mean naming him as Lord and then going on and doing whatever you want for the rest of your life. It doesn't. And we don't have to, we don't condemn one another. We don't, we're all in this together. He doesn't even condemn us, but he does change us. And so we have to, it brings accountability. If you're going to make Jesus the Lord of your life, that word Lord means Lord. It means Lord. It means I submit to who he is. And the thing is, as we've just seen, in that, there's freedom. That's where the freedom is. That's where we get shed of so much stuff that has kept us in bondage. So so let me just run through this little list here with you, and, and we'll be done for today. So I just wrote these things down. Was Jesus acting in love when? Okay, was Jesus acting in love when he healed the sick, touched people with leprosy, forgave the woman caught in adultery, fed the masses, cast out demons from a young boy, healed the centurion's daughter. Yeah, we love that stuff. That was Jesus. That's the love of God in action. Okay, Was he acting in love when he called out the adultery with uh, the woman at the well? You know, she came and he said, bring your husband. And she said, oh, I don't have a husband. And he said, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had however many it was. and, And the guy you're living with now isn't your husband. Well, that wouldn't fly today. Tell you what, cancel that dude, you know, because he called out her sin. Why did he do that? To bring her out of it, to bring her. So so was he acting in love? Yeah, he was acting in love right there. What about when he drove the money changers out of the temple and called the Pharisees a bunch of hypocrites, blind guides, blind fools, and sons of hell? Was that an act of love? Yeah, Jesus is always love. He doesn't just have love. He isn't just loving most days. He is love. That was an act of love. What's it there for? To wake them up and bring them out of that place. What about when he asked the guy, this guy had been sick for 38 years. He'd been crippled. He'd been there at this place for 38 years. And Jesus went to him and he said, do you actually want to get well? Before he healed him, he asked him, he confronted him with the question, do you really want to get well? Or are you just playing a game here? Was that loving? Yep. Cancel him. That was it. But that was loving. That was the love of God and truth in action. Okay. He told Peter, he told Peter, you're going to deny me three times before dawn. He went out one time there in the middle of a, a storm in the boat and he was just going to walk right by him until they called to him. He was just going to go right by. He was acting in love. He was calling something out of them. We either believe these are all acts of love or we don't, okay? Uh, What about when he was asked, why do you go to these parties? Why do you hang out with prostitutes and tax collectors and all these people? And he said, because it's the sick 
who need a doctor. Can you imagine the reaction we get today if we say, well, I'm, I'm here to help these people. They're, they're sick, they're broken, they're damaged, you know, because of sin. I was too, you know, I, I get it. But, but there's damage there, they're broken, and we're here to help them, would not fly in our society. And yet that's what Jesus said, because the sick need a doctor. And all he was saying was, I'm here to help people, but right now they're sick, okay? What about when he told people, uh, oh, in John chapter 8, farther down, he says, tell them they're going to die in their sin because they weren't accepting him for who he was. He said, you're all going to die in your sin. Was that love? It was. All of those. So my point, okay, I could go on and on with this. You get the point. My point is what the world defines as love and even a big part of the church is now defining as love, is not the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated. It doesn't mean he wasn't always like that. It wasn't that he said something harsh to every person he came along with, but when it was necessary, he did. And hopefully, if they took what he said, they were brought into truth and brought into life. So I just encourage you, ma'am, we have got to be and again, you've got to pray through how to do this. Absolutely, we're not all good at doing truth and love together. Granted, nevertheless, the two go together. And Jesus demonstrated them together. And he was not afraid to confront people, to tell the truth. But there was something about him. I'll finish this. I've just got two more thoughts here. You know, there was something about him. He could say that. He says that to the woman at the well. Yeah, you've had a bunch of husbands and the guy you're living with now isn't your husband. Clearly calling out sin in her life. She runs and tells everybody about him and calls everybody to him. Hey, this guy is a prophet. He told me my whole life and calls people to come to Jesus. So there was something about the way he was doing it, obviously, that was really anointed and she felt loved and accepted. I get that. That's important. That's really important. But we don't have to throw truth out in order to do that. Jesus didn't. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We can learn how to do this. Those people that crucified him, you know, I, I was thinking about this in my office. Those people that crucified him, and I understand he had to go to the cross. I, I understand. But the, the violent, angry mob that crucified him and said, give us, the, give us the thief back. We don't want him. They didn't do that because he was, he was so loving and holding the lamb. He was, they did that because they didn't want the light. They didn't want the truth. They didn't want the confrontation that he brought. And so, I mean, there's always been this disconnect between the two. But from God's perspective, love and truth go right, right hand in hand. So we've just got to be people that learn how to stand you know, we've just got to learn how to stand and don't be afraid to stand in what you know is true and to live in what you know is true. Can be humble about it, can be loving about it, but we've got to stand up. We're the only ones that are going to do it. So let's stand up. Did you get anything out of this? Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray. Father, we all need help with this. Lord, because first of all, you know the tide and the current that's, 
that's in our world right now and in our culture that's just coming on real strong right now, Lord, this this pressure, Lord, to, to not stand for anything, to to go with with the flow of culture as as they move away from you. Lord, you you know what's going on there. And Father, I believe everybody that's here this morning, we want to stand up in that. We want to stand up for you. We want to be a pillar and foundation of the truth. Not just to have a confrontation, but because God, we we believe in you. We believe that your word, your words are the words of life. Lord, Peter said it, where else would we go? Lord, so I just pray that you would help every one of us to stand with both truth and love coupled together, mercy and justice coupled together. And Father, I pray, Lord, where we are getting drawn into some of that thinking, Lord, I just ask you by your spirit to highlight it, to to show, to shed the light of truth on it so that we can adjust our thinking to stand straight again, Lord. And Father, we believe with all our hearts, Lord, that as your love comes out of us and as your truth comes out of us, that Father, people's hearts deep inside are drawn, Lord. They are drawn. It is that you are the only way, you are the only truth, and you are the only life. And so, Father, as we go out into this community, the assignment you've given to each of us, Lord, our sphere of influence, Father, as we communicate with people, help us to stand in that place. Lord, we need your anointing on our words. We need you to be seen through our lives. We want to be, we are, but we want to live as the household of God and the church of the living God, Father. So we thank you for that. We trust you. We trust the Holy Spirit to work all of this together in us, to correct us where we need correction, show us how to say things, show us how to interact with people. We ask you for all of that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Okay. Well, I guess we're going to be dismissed. Oh, it seems weird. that I guess because we don't have fellowship time, it still seems weird. All right. Let's just say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison base in the world. And you guys go out there and be the church. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.